Hello, Christ Our Hope. I wish I were able to be with you in person. It is a strange season that we're all in. I mean, in case you're wondering, there were no seminary classes on how to lead a church during a global pandemic. We're all having to figure this out as we go. And then on top of that, you guys are also in a season of saying goodbye to Hoskins and of seeing what Jesus has next for Christ Our Hope. So there is loss in this, absolutely. But there's also an invitation into hope and dreaming and discerning what Jesus has for Christ our hope in this next season. So we give thanks for and we celebrate the Hoskins as we grieve, as we say goodbye, and we set our hearts on Jesus and what he has for us. In John's Gospel, which we just heard, there are some amazing words, words that might seem a bit odd in the midst of the loss and the uncertainty we all face in this pandemic. Jesus says in John chapter 10 and verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Life to the full. It's abundant beauty, overflowing goodness, never ending love. It is a life that cannot be taken away. This is what the human heart longs for. And this is what drives us. This wanting to experience life, know life, this life to the full. It actually drives much of what the world does. Much of the good and the evil done in this world comes from this desire to secure or protect what we think is life or what we think gives us life. But this life that Jesus is talking about, it is not something that we can generate or create. Anything that we look to in order to bring life or think of as life is an imposter if it's something that we can generate or create. If it depends on us being able to make it happen, if it depends on us being able to create it, if it depends on us being able to chase it down, then it is not the life Jesus is talking about. It is not this life to the full. Because this life that Jesus is talking about is not something we can create, manufacture, or uh, catch. Life is something we receive. It is a gift, it is grace, it is given to us. And this is what the cross shows shows us, this is grace. It's not dependent on our efforts, it's dependent on Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, which is applied into our lives by God the Holy Spirit, grace upon grace, freely given, not what we can create. Life to the full is something that we can only know fully in the new heaven, the new earth, but is also something we are to experience now. Jesus in his resurrection has purchased for us this life to the full. It is actually fully present today. It's just not fully realized until we're in the new creation, where there is no more sin or death or sorrow. But this life is something we're meant to know and experience now, even if it isn't fully realized here. Uh, To look at how, we're going to look at Psalm 23. The imagery in the first verses of Psalm 23 is that of a shepherd and a sheep. You know this psalm well. Uh, The word for shepherd literally means feeder, the one who feeds me. And there is a hunger we have, and this hunger isn't just physical. There's an emotional hunger, a relational hunger, a spiritual hunger. And maybe more specifically, there is a a hunger for meaning, uh, for hope, for worth, for having our existence mean something, a hunger to be seen, uh, for knowing and being known, for security, for being loved. I mean, the list goes on and on. These are actually hungers for this life to the full. Now, our hunger has at its root our rebellion in Genesis 3, because before our rebellion, we were placed in the Garden of Delight. It was a place of abundance and delight. In the beginning, there was no physical hunger. There was abundance. But there also was no relational hunger. They were naked and unashamed. 
and there was no spiritual hunger. They were made in the image of God, and there was no sin to interfere with their relationship with God. The consequence of our rebellion is that now hunger defines us. But God doesn't just abandon us in our hunger, and he doesn't just fill our hunger because we're broken and we actually can't be filled. Jesus takes on our hunger. He knows our hunger. He inhabits our hunger, and he takes it on himself, and he takes it to the cross so that we are no longer defined by hunger and lack, but by his goodness. This is the power of, of therefore, I lack nothing in verse 1 of Psalm 23. In the midst of hunger, I do not hunger. And there is no deficiency or diminishment. My framework for looking at the world or myself is not lack. Um, I, I do not have this mindset of, of diminishment and being impoverished. Now, this side of heaven, while we will still sin and while we live in a fallen world, the echoes, echoes of hunger will haunt us. But if we have been rescued by Jesus, these hungers no longer own us. They no longer define us. And we know that, that when we feel hunger, the, the echoes of that, we know where to go. He is our feeder because he inhabited our hunger. And we don't have to be ashamed to bring our hunger to him. We don't have to hide or pretend. We have the foundation to be able to look at and recognize our hunger, recognize the places where we live out of a sense of deficiency or lack, and bring that to him, knowing that he doesn't shame us. He loves and rescues and restores. Jesus is the shepherd who goes after lost things. He's the one who seeks us out. He's the one that leads us on the right paths. And that doesn't mean that we will never experience trouble. His paths might take us to the darkest valley, but we know that he is with us. He has a staff to lead and rescue us. He's a rod to deal with enemies who come to attack us. Attack us. He is the shepherd who refreshes us, who cleanses us. This is the imagery that Jesus picks up on in John 10 when he says that he is the good shepherd. Now, there's a progression in Psalm 23. We start off in the field, and, and then in verse 5, there's a shift. We, we move into the banquet hall, uh, where David writes, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is no longer the imagery of the shepherd and his sheep, because sheep don't come to banquets, I mean, unless they're the main course, which is not the picture here. Uh, the imagery does pick up on the hunger and God being the one who satisfies us. Now, banquets are pictures in both the Old Testament and the New Testament of the restoration of what's lost in our rebellion, a picture of God's goodness and abundance. We do not worship an austere God who is meager and stingy. The imagery that God uses of this, of this restoration of all things is a party. It's a great feast. He doesn't use the imagery of a solemn religious gathering. He doesn't use the imagery of a classroom where we're all instructed in what is good and right. He uses the image of a party. This is a picture of life to the full, a picture of his goodness and his grace. Jesus' death and resurrection opened up for us a place at the table. God invites us in. We have a place. We belong. Uh, we have access to this life to the full. But it is so much more than the truth that God invites us in, that we have a place at the table. Uh, the picture in Psalm 23 and verse 5 is not that we are part of the crowd who gathers for the feast. We're not those who come to serve the meal. But is that we are the honored guest and God is our host. Uh, that this banquet is actually a banquet that God throws in our honor. Now, this is the glory and the scandal of the gospel. Because it is not appropriate that we are the honored guest. 
This is why uh, the psalm says that this banquet is in the presence of David's enemies. There is opposition. The accuser will accuse. He will tell us that we don't belong. He will tell us that we are beggars in the kingdom, unimportant or unwanted. Uh, The accuser will accuse us of not being good enough, not trying hard enough. The accuser will tell us that we don't have a place at the table, let alone that we are the honored guest. See, this is the glory of the gospel. This is the glory of his rescue. We can be the honored guest because it doesn't depend on what I do. It depends on what Jesus has done, his work on the cross. That's what we see in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. See, it is inappropriate that we are the honored guests, but that inappropriate Jesus has taken, he has nailed it to the cross. This is how he sets a table in the midst of our enemies. This is how Jesus can say in John chapter 10 and verse 10 that he came that we might have life to the full because we have this place at the table that we are honored guests and it doesn't rest on what we do. It rests on what Jesus has done for us. And in that, we are secure. Now, the images that follow in verse five all relate to what it is to be an honored guest. And I wanna focus on the, the phrase, my cup overflows. This is a picture of God's abundant goodness, of a blessing that is overflowing. But this isn't just the moment of the banquet. David is actually speaking about his life as a whole. That image of cup you find in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it means one's lot in life, what God has given, the portion that he has given us. David is saying that his cup, his lot in life, his portion is overflowing with blessing. Now, David has enemies. He is led to the darkest valleys, ones he creates and ones that come to him, like his own son betraying him. And yet he says, my cup overflows with blessing. There is something of being made the honored guest, which orients David's understanding of life, which gives assurance and perspective, more than whatever circumstances he may be in, uh, tries to orient him. The perspective of being God's honored guest, who is fed, secure, and refreshed, defines him more than anything else. Now, we don't get there uh, to this place of having this perspective shape all things by our effort. It is only done by the Holy Spirit applying the truth of the word of God, the truth of the gospel into our hearts. This is what we need in our day as we're in this global pandemic, as we face challenges in our own personal lives, as we walk through transition at Christ our hope. See, we can experience life. We can be marked by grace and hope because we are defined by what Jesus has done for us and by who he has made us to be. This gives us the ability to, in our day, stand tall, to to offer hope to those who do not hope. There is an opportunity we have in this day to be a light in our world. And we can stand in that glory because what Jesus has done for us his rescue, which brings us life to the full that that is actually fully present for us here, fully realized in the new creation, but that's something we are meant to know and experience now, even in the midst of all that we walk through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the God 
who brings life, that you are the one who rescues us, that you take us and you, in cleansing us of our sins, of, of making us your children, you not only give us a place at the table, you make us the honored guest, that you have this life that you have purchased for us by your blood. We ask that by the Holy Spirit, you would apply this truth deeper into our lives so that this truth would be our foundation as we face all the things that we might face in our days. To your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.